Chapter thirty one of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter thirty one A Friendly Consultation, A Dangerous Embassy, Lady Clarissa Receives Some Disagreeable Intelligence, An Awkward Contest, Unpleasant Visions, A Fitting Termination to the Confidential Union Between Master and Man such was the state of affairs in the bedroom of sir matthew dowling when dr crockley entered it were all the words which mrs gabberly then uttered in explanation of what she had done why she had done it and how her doings had answered to be written down here my waning pages would hardly suffice to contain them dr crockley nodded winked approved and applauded a great deal joked a little and finally felt the patient's pulse observing at the same time that it was necessary at any rate to bring him round sufficiently to get a little talk on business out of him before he popped off for good and all very right and proper if you can manage it doctor sagaciously observed mrs gabberly but you may depend upon it that and here she whispered something that it was especially intended martha should be neither the better nor the worse for the doctor nodded and winked and nodded again and then turning to the poor girl who was not only the one who alone in that presence cared anything for the prostrate millocrat but the one of all created beings who would alone have felt his death to be a cause of mourning dr crockley turned to her and with very little of even the external decency of sympathy said do you think you can manage to get some mustard my dear out of the clutches of the bailiffs because that is what we want here without answering martha moved towards the door and michael not conceiving that the physician's words were but a brutal jest and fancying that martha might really have to petition those who now held authority in the household for the article wanted stepped after her to request that he might execute the commission in her place you shall come down with me michael she replied and i doubt not you will be able to procure what we want without difficulty but alas michael it will avail nothing i am sure by their whispering that they both know it will avail nothing nevertheless it shall be tried but is it not dreadful that of all his numerous family there should be only one to receive his dying breath oh god she added with clasped hands and streaming eyes if it be a judgment let it atone for all that has been wrong for surely it is a heavy one on reaching the hall the pitying michael who in the sufferings of his friend forgot all the cruelty of his enemy insisted upon going alone in the thronged and noisy offices while she sat down to wait for his return he did his errand promptly and was by her side again in a minute or two but he found that she had left the chair on which he had placed her and was now pacing up and down the hall in violent agitation i am overpowered i am borne down by all this horror this deep and bitter grief she exclaimed and there is not a single human being near me but your ill-used self michael from whom i am likely to find any real kindness the conduct of all with whom i have had intercourse since my poor father's distresses came upon him has been such as to make me wish rather to shun than seek them at this awful moment yet i want some one to tell me how i ought to act i know that fearful man parsons who is greatly in his confidence had business of importance to settle with him for again and again my father has said to me since the execution has been in the house that let what would happen he must find time to speak to him ought i not then to send to him in this extremity would to heaven i were fitter to advise you my dear miss martha replied michael with equal respect and tenderness certainly if such were your father's words it is very right to remember them shall i go to the factory and summon mr parsons hither oh it is hateful to me replied poor martha 
to call such a being to his deathbed but it may be that the interests of others are at stake and when i recall my father's earnestness as he spoke of the necessity of seeing him i tremble at the idea of disobeying him go then michael hasten to the factory and tell this man that his master is very ill but that if he recovers his senses and his speech it is probable he may wish to speak to him michael lost no time in obeying her and on reaching the mills found the superintendent as usual at his post at the first glance he did not recognize the messenger for the appearance of the young man was greatly changed by the style of equipment which under the advice of mr bell had been provided for him no sooner did michael speak however than the man started as if he had been shot sir matthew send you he exclaimed what mountbank tricks are you got at now you young villain what did you think that this fine toggery could bamboozle me has it really bamboozled him have you faith and troth contrived to pass yourself off upon your dearly beloved benefactor as a gentleman of fashion and fortune who has come to make him a visit of condolence upon his misfortunes a capital fellow ain't you or perhaps my nice young grandee you fancy his grinders are drawn and that he can't or won't maybe have anything to do now that he has fallen into trouble with putting such an elegant young gentleman to inconvenience is that it but it is just possible that other people may be more at leisure who knows never mind me now mr parsons replied michael utterly indifferent at that moment to anything and everything that his old enemy might attempt for the purpose of annoying him never think of me or my affairs at such a time as this you have given me no opportunity to speak or you would have understood that it was not sir matthew who sent me here but his daughter sir matthew was too ill when i left the house to know anything about it but miss martha thinks that if he recovers his speech and senses he may wish to speak to you like enough replied the superintendent with a sneer sir matthew's troubles have nowise changed his nature the young lady is quite right but i shouldn't have thought that he'd have told her anything about it either no but what she might approve the job too if she had got any spirit in her but she is but a poor puling sort of a creature much as she was when she used to cosset you my beautiful master runaway apprentice however never mind that now and as you say my pretty master there's a time for all things you may just step in here while i change my coat it beant the first time as you have entered this pleasant building master mike is it michael was going to obey him but at the moment he was about to pass the threshold something in the eye of the superintendent made him pause he recollected full well the ready lock of that once hated door and it struck him as by no means impossible that his old acquaintance might turn it upon him if he put it in his power to do so fears for his own personal safety he certainly had none being quite aware that he was no longer in any danger of being kidnapped as heretofore but the idea of martha being left at this her utmost need in want of any little service he could afford was quite enough to make him cautious and with something of an involuntary smile he stepped back saying there is no occasion for me to wait for you mr parsons i have delivered my message and you may obey it or not as you please at any rate you cannot want me to show you the way to dowling lodge and so saying he turned round and walked out of the yard pestilent young viper muttered the superintendent between his closed teeth that i should live to see him strut off before me in that fashion but i'll have a try if i can't plague him yet fool that i was when i had him snug by myself on ridgetop moor not to give him one farewell thrashing with the horsewhip if i had put out a joint or two it would have been no great matter and then i should have been spared the d sight of him now marching off 
blank hang him like a peacock before me as to changing my coat that's fudge people don't trouble themselves to change their coats when they are going to pay their compliments to an apoplectic bankrupt having fairly got beyond all the bolts and bars immediately within the jurisdiction of mr parsons michael slackened his pace being rather inclined to have the society of his former tyrant than not sir matthew appears to be in a very dangerous state mr parsons said he as soon as the sulky superintendent came up to him perhaps your right honourable greatness has been studying medicine since i had the pleasure of taking that little drive with you into derbyshire i have studied many things since that time mr parsons replied michael laughing and one is the nature and use of locks the tone in which this was answered was so brutal that the young man rather from disgust than anger walked on faster than his foe could follow him and reaching the house some minutes before him made his way again without ceremony for it was no time for it into the apartment of sir matthew a considerable change had taken place in the condition of the patient since he left it the cataplasms had so far succeeded as to restore animation and consciousness sir matthew still surrounded by martha mrs gabberly and the doctor was gazing upon them with widely opened eyes which though wild and wandering in expression were evidently not devoid of speculation michael had entered very gently but not without being heard by the sick man for he turned his eyes full upon him as he approached the sight of him however no longer seemed to produce any emotion for after looking quietly at him for a moment sir matthew turned his gaze upon mrs gabberly who from being in the act of leaning over him brought herself particularly within his sight is parsons come said martha in a whisper he must be in the hall by this time replied michael shall i tell him to come up my dear father has not yet spoken she said but perhaps he may understand me parsons is here papa she added taking her father's hand and leaning over him should you like to see him he is in london my dear replied the knight very distinctly thank god exclaimed martha tenderly kissing him thank god his speech is not in the least affected rather wandering though said dr crockley winking his eye at mrs gabberly i should say bleed him again if you want to get anything out of him observed mrs gabberly looking sagaciously at the doctor perhaps i may in an hour or two he replied applying his finger to the patient's pulse sir matthew fixed his eyes upon him and laughed a horrid rattling ghastly sort of laugh that seemed to come from his throat you haven't quite done with me yet have you crockley said he done with you my dear friend god forbid replied the physician rather startled at the apparently healthy state of his patient's intellect and affectionately smoothing his pillows and settling the bedclothes about him would you like to see parsons dear papa said martha gently and again bending over him oh yes he replied eagerly i'll see parsons now directly i should be very sorry not to see parsons i may live or i may die you know but i must see parsons martha immediately left the room intending to explain to the superintendent before she brought him into it the state in which her father lay and the necessity of receiving any orders he might wish to give with as little disturbance to him as possible on reaching the hall however she saw him not and was on the point of returning upstairs to inquire of michael where he had left him when she caught the sound of his voice from sir matthew's study on entering this room she perceived not only mr parsons but lady clarissa who standing before the commode in which as she happened to know her husband was accustomed to keep papers of importance as well as money appeared to have been very assiduously examining its contents 
for every recess had evidently been visited and as one of her hands was tightly clutched over a pocket-book it seemed that her researches had not been wholly in vain and that she had not privately obtained possession of his keys for nothing i was sent for my lady said parsons apparently replying to some question of her ladyship's which to judge by her angry frown and the vexed expression of her countenance had not been a civil one my father wishes to see mr parsons directly said martha and by your ladyship's leave i must take that green pocket-book with me said parsons what pocket-book you rude fellow replied clarissa indignantly that one as your ladyship now holds in your left hand replied the confidential superintendent i wonder sirrah that you do not ask me to give you the rings off my fingers cried the angry mistress of the mansion go to your master fellow if he has sent for you and i shall go too so you need not trouble yourself about the pocket-book and with these words she pushed past both martha and mr parsons preceding them to the sick man's chamber by the time they entered it his eyes were again closed but he appeared to breathe without difficulty though rather more audibly than usual and martha fancied that he was asleep hush said she do not disturb him he is sleeping dr crockley and mrs gabberly had withdrawn to a window and were evidently in consultation but whether on the symptoms of apoplexy or bankruptcy might be doubtful michael however was standing close beside the bed and in answer to martha's observation shook his head saying no not asleep then he'll manage to hear what i've got to say to him said parsons advancing and throwing a glance of spiteful vengeance at lady clarissa because it is just what he wants to know at the sound of parson's voice sir matthew opened his eyes and made an effort to raise himself but this was beyond his power and it was only by being lifted with as little effort as possible on his own part as if he were already dead that he was placed in the attitude he seemed to desire and in which he was supported by pillows and by the arms of poor martha who had placed herself on the bolster behind him it was a frightful and awful expression which then took possession of his sunken features nevertheless a hateful sort of smile made part of it parsons that's you isn't it that's parsons that stands there he said directing his misty eyes full upon the superintendent yes sir matthew tis me replied the man have you done my bidding parsons demanded the knight with a sort of gasping which seemed to threaten that his breath was about to leave him yes sir matthew it's all regularly made out replied parsons nobody can mistake now about times or dates in any way and isn't that the honourable lady clarissa said the sick man directing his eyes towards her yes sir matthew replied parsons with something like a titter then 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 panted the dying man let her ladyship know what was the last business that i gave you instructions about a very fitting business for an honourable gentleman to attend to when his affairs are in confusion and he not in an over-good state of health replied the confidential servant turning himself round so as exactly to face her ladyship no less a matter than restoring three good thousand pounds a year for ever towards clearing scores with his creditors now three thousand pounds a year was exactly the sum for the settlement of which upon herself a daughter of the noble house of highlandlock had condescended to assume the name of dowling and the mention of the often meditated sum roused her ladyship's attention so effectually that her face involuntarily protruded itself beyond her body till her nose very nearly reached that of the individual who was addressing her go on said sir matthew positively chuckling though his chin dropped on his chest as he spoke well then 
resumed parsons leering aside at dr crockley who with mrs gabberly had drawn near to listen to this very interesting disclosure well then justice is justice and sir matthew let him die when he will won't have it upon his conscience that he defrauded his creditors to make a settlement upon any lady in the land gentle or simple because you see he has left proof plain and clear that he had committed more than one act of bankruptcy before he made the settlement upon her ladyship and for that good and excellent reason her ladyship will have no right to one single penny that he leaves behind him and that is a comfort to an honest man like me who likes to see justice done to high and low villain screamed lady clarissa it is false no 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 issued from the pillows in a voice that shook with ghastly laughter true all true and now she may go to scotland just ask her to give you your green pocket-book sir matthew before she goes said parsons grinning i saw her ladyship take it out of your bureau and if she will be pleased to open her hand i think it will tumble out of it with a look of inexpressible rage lady clarissa turned away from him and made towards the door stop her crockley cried sir matthew feebly adding with panting difficulty and you shall have it dr crockley had a great respect for the peerage and would beyond all question have preferred snatching a pocket-book from nine hundred and ninety-nine untitled ladies in succession rather than from one lady clarissa but he felt that this was no moment for ceremony and obeying what was very likely to be the last behest of his patron he rolled his fat person after her with extraordinary muscular exertion and grasping the lady's robe with one hand seized on her rigidly clenched fist with the other in such a sort that according to the prophecy of mr parsons the green pocket-book dropped out of it unfortunately however the attitude in which this feat was performed was one which could not be retained by the ill-balanced person of the doctor after the supporting form of the lady on whom he had thrown himself had escaped from his grasp and struggling with as much anxious care as caesar to fall well i e upon the pocket-book he measured his length upon the ground parsons though certainly not hoping for so lucky an accident had with the same sort of instinct which brings the crow beside a sickly sheep followed closely the retreating steps of her ladyship and adroitly jerking the coveted pocket-book with his foot so that it should escape the being buried under the stumbling physician prepared himself to dip and catch it but the success of the manoeuvre was less perfect than its ingenuity deserved for ere his tall rigid person had bent itself sufficiently for him to reach the ground mrs gabberly who had become one of the group at the same instant with dr crockley was in possession of it and ere the prostrate crockley or the stooping parsons could raise their eyes the prize had dropped into the deepest recesses of a prodigious pocket which reached nearly to the bottom of her little petticoat it is probable that both inquiry and search might have been instituted in consequence of this had not the condition of the patient at that moment rendered it impossible sir matthew's ghastly eyes had fixed themselves on lady clarissa during the foregoing scene but as if though they had still the power of discerning objects they had lost that of moving after them he appeared to lose sight of her as she approached the door and the heavy orbs seemed seeking for something on which to rest themselves without any change of position it chanced that michael who quite aware that the last moments of sir matthew were approaching determined not to leave the premises till he had learned the wishes and intentions of martha was at the moment moving from the corner he had occupied near a window not within sight of the bed to a table exactly at the foot of it on which was placed a flacon of cologne water which poor martha almost exhausted by the painful attitude necessary to sustain the pillows had made him a sign to get for her 
this movement brought him within the range of sir matthew's eyes and something in his aspect as he cautiously bent to take the bottle or else the thick coming fancies of a brain diseased though not paralyzed suddenly produced a terrible effect upon the dying man and he uttered a cry so harsh and terrible as to constrain the attention even of the preoccupied group at the door there's a dead body walking about the room he ejaculated in an unnatural and frightful accent he has come for me and i must go the shriek which followed these words was terrible in a minute or two he spoke again but almost in a whisper one no it is not one it is five hundred take them take them away from me i tell you they are all dirty beastly factory children their arms and legs are all broken and smashed and hanging by bits of skin take them away i tell you crockley their horrid joints will drop upon me they are dangling and loose i tell you and then again he shouted with so fearful a cry that even parsons pressed his hands upon his ears to save them from the sound calm him calm him cried the trembling martha can you not give him something that may still this dreadful agony dr crockley it is not a very easy symptom to master miss martha replied the physician dryly however it is not likely that it will last long all the life that's left is just about the heart and brain which is always unlucky if there happens to be anything particular upon the mind parsons cried the dying man again raising his voice but without looking towards the person he addressed parsons are you not ashamed of yourself to turn the whole set of them out upon me at once in this way you that have paid and bribed and tipped so often rascal take them off me i tell you do you mean that they shall stifle me they will stifle me they will they will i cannot breathe for them parsons i tell you they will stifle me papa my dear dear papa cried martha bending forward till her cheek touched that of her father compose yourself it is only that you are unwell and fancy things there are no children here papa but your own martha her tender caresses and her gentle voice together seemed to reach and quiet for a moment his wandering intellect he made an effort to turn his head towards her but that was impossible and michael who had upon his first frightful cry removed himself to the head of the bed where the eye of the wretched man could not reach silently offered to take martha's place that she might station herself where it could she quickly understood him and in a moment stood where that dying eye could gaze upon her his hand with its glittering ring still lay upon the bed she took it in hers and fondly chafed and kissed it but it was stiff and cold as marble father dearest father she said speak one word to me but it was too late his lips never opened more for some hours longer he continued to breathe but on again feeling his pulse dr crockley declared that its faint pulsations must inevitably cease before night i suppose your old servant betty parker is still in the house miss martha said he the poor girl bowed an affirmative but had no power to speak well then said the doctor i should recommend that you should put her to sit here it is no good for any of us to stay any longer for it's all over just as much as if he was already in his coffin you had better go away and see what you can pack up to get off with miss martha that's all that is left to be done as far as i can see come mrs gabberly he added i have got a friendly word or two to say to you 
so your boy shall mount my pony and i'll drive your donkey for you and so saying he took the little woman under his arm and trudged off without waiting for her to inform him whether she approved his proposal or not mr parsons giving one scowling look at the silent bed followed them and martha and michael were left together beside the dying man upon perceiving the totally unconscious state into which sir matthew had fallen michael had gently withdrawn himself from behind his pillows and now stood almost as silent and motionless as himself beside the bed respectfully waiting to receive from the desolate and weeping martha some hint or instruction respecting his staying where he was or leaving her never when the poor dependent of her family had the young heart of michael been impressed with a feeling of respect so profound as he had at the moment felt for the unhappy girl in truth the feeling was so powerful as to interfere with his usefulness for he shrank from appearing to put himself forward too presumptuously by giving her advice or venturing in any degree to dictate what it might be best for her to do but when after remaining thus bashfully silent for a quarter of an hour he perceived that she gave no other sign of life than by tears that flowed incessantly and sighs that seemed to heave her breast almost to bursting when he saw this he began to think that some degree of seeming presumption on his part might be better and more profitable for her whom he would really have died to serve than the continuance of a degree of deference which must render him useless approaching therefore to the chair on which she had thrown herself he ventured to say miss martha where can i find your old servant betty parker i remember her very well she used to be always in the nursery if you would tell me where she is likely to be i will go for her poor martha for a moment ceased to weep and looked up at him michael armstrong she replied i am not conscious of ever having injured any human being but yourself and yet you are the only one who is near to support and help me at this dreadful hour god bless you for your kindness my good boy do not go away michael that is i mean do not leave the house till all is over indeed i think you may be useful to me miss martha he returned will you trust me to sit here while you yourself summon whomever you may wish to keep you company i will keep out of sight in case and here he stopped his eyes will never open more michael she replied while the tears again burst forth and thank god their last look at me was gentle but i almost fear to leave the room michael i would not that he should breathe his last and i not by him but michael unskilful as he was felt that the scene was too awful a one for the poor girl to be left alone in and he therefore persisted to declare with the authority which such subduing sorrow gives to all around who will take the trouble to exercise it that he would watch by the bedside of her father while she sought the old woman mentioned by dr crockley reluctantly and unresistingly she consented and giving a look at the bed that seemed to wring her very heart she quitted the room leaving michael armstrong alone with the motionless mass of still living clay before which he had so often trembled how strangely eventful had been the interval between those well-remembered days and the one actually present with him how extraordinary the change in the circumstances of both parties it was not triumph but it was thankfulness which michael felt as the sense of this came fully upon him during these moments of profound stillness and the result of all the moving thoughts that crowded upon his mind was an earnest prayer to heaven that he might never be placed in any circumstances likely to harden his heart and make him the cause of suffering to others a fearful and a dreadful crime which he felt as he gazed with trembling awe on the sunken features of the living corpse before him must in the sight of god be held as one of the most daring rebellion to his heavenly will of which man is capable 
solemn and solitary as was michael's position in the chamber of sir matthew the interval of martha's absence did not seem long she returned accompanied by the old servant who had been nursery attendant though never raised to the dignity of nurse from the birth of the eldest child of the family and who was the only one remaining of all the numerous household who retained the slightest feeling of attachment to any of them to her habit stood in the place of preference and she might perhaps be said to love all the dowling children from the eldest to the youngest a sentiment which led her to conceive as in duty bound a most hearty detestation of their stepmother it was therefore with something very like pleasure that she obeyed a summons so solemn and so peremptory as to justify her even in the judgment of mrs saunderson for laying aside the ironing-box which she had been plying incessantly for two whole days upon the frills and furbelows of lady clarissa in order to obey it on perceiving the condition in which her master lay betty parker strongly advised poor martha to retire urging the uselessness of her remaining to look upon what was so grievous when a baby might see at half a glance that the poor gentleman could not tell friend from foe but betty parker knew little of the intensity of martha's pertinacious love for her unworthy parent if she fancied that her very reasonable remonstrance would produce any effect martha attempted not even to answer it but placing herself in a chair close beside the bed remained nearly as motionless as the faintly breathing figure that lay upon it poor michael knew not too well what he ought to do next he felt that he was useless there he knew that he should be stared at as a very incomprehensible intruder if he descended to the offices yet he remembered that his benefactress had bid him not to go and he could not have felt himself more strongly bound to remain had the crime of high treason been involved in his departure yet there was something in the stupid puzzled look with which betty parker regarded him that vexed his spirit he was conscious that he had no business in that room and therefore at such a moment he ought not to be there after a few moments of reflection he approached martha and making so profound a reverence as to convince betty that let him be who he would he was a very well-behaved young gentleman he said i will now miss martha go to the inn for an hour or two and then return to take your orders a look of gratitude was all her reply and michael departed it was three o'clock in the afternoon when he entered the little inn where the postboy who had driven him from fairly in the morning was still waiting his orders i cannot tell you yet my lad when i shall be ready to return he replied in answer to the boy's questionings it's all one to me master said the driver in course i shall be paid accordingly certainly you will returned michael and he was then left to eat his solitary dinner with what appetite he might for three long melancholy hours he employed himself in pacing backwards and forwards on the high road before the little inn and was beginning to think that time enough had elapsed to justify his returning to inquire how matters were going on at dowling lodge when the sound of a carriage approaching as it seemed from the park gates caused him to stop abruptly to listen and to look the equipage that drew near was a handsome travelling carriage though its appearance was considerably disfigured by the prodigious quantity of luggage which was fastened by ropes and chains to every part of it the imperial only formed the foundation for a pyramid of trunks and bandboxes which were piled upon it the servant's seat behind was loaded to its very utmost capacity with more trunks and bandboxes while chained below it was a massive coffer that looked very like a plate chest having suspended round its sides bundles baskets and bags innumerable nor was the interior by any means reserved for live lumber alone 
for although the rigid figures of lady clarissa dowling and her waiting-woman saunderson were visible in the midst it appeared to be crammed with every imaginable species of property which such a conveyance could transport michael watched the overloaded vehicle roll by with great satisfaction whatever happens thought he miss martha must be better without her relieved by knowing that he should not again run the risk of encountering her delectable ladyship michael immediately took his way to the magnificent mansion she had forsaken and perceiving that the hall doors stood wide open preferred passing through them to encountering again the motley throng that had taken possession of the offices but instead of finding this portion of the house as quiet and forsaken as he had left it he was startled by hearing as he mounted the steps of the stately portico a multitude of voices in violent altercation at first he felt disposed to turn away and seek another entrance but the vehemence of the sounds he heard excited his curiosity and he went on instead of one half a dozen strangers might have entered without running any risk of having their right there challenged so great was the confusion that reigned and michael might have passed up the great stairs and into the chamber which it was his purpose to visit without any difficulty but he was prevented from taking immediate advantage of this by hearing words which excited new fears for the unfortunate martha and ere he had listened many minutes he became aware that a new creditor had reached the lodge after he left it who had come armed with proper authority to arrest the knight dead or alive nor did the discussion of this event cause all the uproar for the agents of the parties who had previously sent in the execution were threatening with all sorts of punishment several of the servants whom they accused of having been bribed to assist lady clarissa in the removal of many valuables which she had no right to take it was not this part of the tumult however that interested him and having obtained but too clearly the information that sir matthew was arrested he once more sought for the unhappy martha in the dismal chamber where he had left her and there he found her but with such frightful adjuncts to her natural grief that the state of quiet decent sorrow in which he had left her seemed a condition positively enviable compared to that in which she found her now sir matthew had breathed his last and the corpse was already arranged with decency upon its stately bed but on each side of it stood an officer whose duty it was to violate by their presence the solemn sanctity of that dismal chamber and to prevent the bodies being carried to the grave till the claims of their employer were satisfied in front of her father's corpse with her troubled eyes no longer bathed in the healing dew of natural sorrow turning from it to its rude guardians and back again to all that was left of the sinful being she had so fondly blindly loved stood the wretched daughter so sad a spectacle of woe that it was evident the men themselves turned their hard eyes studiously away because they felt a pang of pity as they looked upon her come with me miss martha cried michael unceremoniously seizing her arm you must not you cannot remain here you can do no good miss martha all is over now you must come away you must indeed the only answer that poor martha gave was forcibly shaking off the hand that held her and then pointing first to her father's body and afterwards to the two unseemingly attendants who stood beside it it is no use young man to strive with her said betty who was still occupied in completing some of her lugubrious operations about the bed i know her better than you do she will stay here watching him till she is as dead as he is rather than go away and leave his body to be tended by such as those for a moment michael really felt all the enervating effects of despair and stood perfectly incapable of even imagining any means of help for the agony which it wrung his heart to witness 
but as the old woman pursued her ghastly occupation she went muttering on expatiating on the sinful and unchristian outrage that was thus committed and what will the rogue get by it she said does he mean to show the corpse for a farthing ahead to his factory blackguards isn't he as big a fool as he is knave no mistress no by no means said the friendly defender of mr joseph parsons for it was at his suit that the body of sir matthew had been arrested you may call the superintendent rogue or knave or what you will of that kind and i don't suppose that there's many as would contradict you but as to his being a fool especially as to the doing what he has done here that he is not twas his only chance and how much do you think he'll make of it demanded old betty with a sneer why just the four hundred and sixty-seven pounds as is due to him replied the man to all this poor martha appeared not to pay the slightest attention and in truth neither understood nor heard a word of it but michael did and with sudden animation stepped up to the man who had spoken and whispered in his ear perhaps we may be able to settle this business without any further difficulty step out of the room with me will you for a moment your companion can do all that is necessary without you neither i nor my employer are people to make difficulties replied the man and i am quite ready to hear you young master if you have got anything to say upon the subject they accordingly retired together and in a wondrously short space of time the uninitiated michael was made to understand all the circumstances of the case the most important of which was that if as mr parsons hoped and expected miss martha could find ready money enough quietly to pay his little private account with the late sir matthew the arrest would be immediately withdrawn and the body left for her to dispose of it at her pleasure and the sum said michael is how much four hundred and sixty-seven pounds replied the man with some little matter not exceeding four or five pounds more for cost withdraw the arrest said michael and the money shall be instantly forthcoming let us see the money forthcoming replied the fellow grinning and the arrest shall be instantly withdrawn here is the money sir said michael taking out the pocket-book containing martha's generous donation and drawing from it notes to the amount demanded then the business will be soon settled young gentleman may i take the liberty to ask your name my name is of no consequence whatever sir replied michael but lose no time in giving me the discharge only first enter that chamber with me once again withdraw your companion from his frightful watch and tell the poor young lady that it is over the man readily obeyed and the morning but thankful martha was once more left with her old servant to watch beside her father's corpse End of chapter thirty one